everyone, and welcome back to Three Peas in a Pod. We all hope that you are doing well and you're staying safe in this pandemic while safely socially distancing from each other. Again, we like you to note that we actually recorded this episode via Skype, so we apologize for any audio issues or anything else that could make this less than appealing. Um, We are trying our best to put out accurate, reliable information, and we're also trying to abide by Governor Whitmore's social distancing laws that have been implemented, which we fully support as healthcare providers. So with that being said, we are covering a topic today that is very prominent in newborns and young children, and one that's kind of also happening in the era of COVID right now, and that is the topic of fever. This is a really common uh, topic of confusion for parents, but we did think that it was very important, and that's why we wanted to discuss it today. So to get started, um, Farheen, can you tell us what the definition of a fever is? So yes, the definition of fever is a temperature of 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit or higher. So we do see a lot of parents that bring in their child strictly for the complaint of fever, and they're very, very scared and frightened, especially if it's a newborn. So what do you think causes this fear that's instilled in everyone of fevers? Um, So fever is not a disease in itself. It is a symptom. Um, So that's really important to know. It's your body's way of fighting off infection, and it's a completely normal response to infection. This happens all the time. We have parents who come into clinic, who come into the emergency department, um, very scared and alarmed that their child has been having these persistent fevers, um, temperatures that are like uh, 99.5 or 100.0, very afraid that their child's been having these like elevated temperatures for so long um, and are afraid that there's something wrong with their baby. Um, so it's understandable why this might be concerning. Um, we're always taught at like a young age that a normal body temperature is like 98.7. So when you hear that something is higher than that, you get concerned. Um, but there is a ri- like a range for normal temperature. Um, which I think a lot of times parents are not aware of. But most parents are obviously very concerned about their child's health. They want to make sure that they're normal. So when they see, whenever they see like a higher um, reading on a thermometer, they're going to freak out. They might think that there's something toxic going on in their child's body or um, they're at risk for developing a disease or they might die or um, something very concerning. Uh, that's true and it is a definite valid concern. Um, So it is something that's very important to us as physicians. So let me just say that, for example, my grandma, when she is at home, sometimes she'll just put her hand on her thigh and she'll just say that it feels really hot and then she thinks she has a fever and she starts freaking out. So is that accurate for Hain and how should we actually be taking our temperatures? So yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that's accurate. Um, (laughs) So what your grandma's doing is taking a tactile temperature. That's when you like use the back of your hand and um, you feel like elevated temperature on yourself. Um, This is a very inaccurate method of um, taking a temperature and it's highly dependent on the temperature of the person um, touching the child's skin. But if you do notice that um, when you put your hand 
on your baby's skin and the temperature feels hotter, do go ahead and use a thermometer to check um, an actual reading of um, their temperature to confirm whether or not they have a fever. That's a good point. So always confirm um, when you feel that your child feels warm. Yes. So are there different methods? Like how, how I know I've seen like multiple different thermometers in the store. Like, is there a certain type that you're supposed to be taking or like, is it supposed to be in a certain place? Like how, how are we doing this? Yeah. So, um, there are a lot of different options at the store. Um, we recommend using like a digital rectal thermometer. Those tend to be the most accurate. Um, and there are other types, like there are like oral um, thermometers, axillary thermometers. They're like electronic ones. They're like mercury ones that are really old school. You shouldn't be using them. Those have been discontinued. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of options. But we do recommend using like a digital rectal thermometer. Um, you can take temperatures um, in the ear as well, also orally. Um, and then also in axillary, which means like in the armpit, um, ear and rectal temperatures tend to be a half a degree higher than oral temperatures and axillary tends to be one degree lower. Um, so that's important to keep in mind if you're using any of those methods. But again, we do recommend taking a rectal temperature um, with a digital thermometer. Yeah. So a lot of parents have a lot, have anxiety about this when we try to take rectal temperatures in the hospital they get really uh, anxious and nervous and a lot of them full out like opposed to it um so have you ever taken a rectal thermometer farheen and <laughs> that temperature i mean um and have you come across parents with lots of anxiety about this okay i have a confession i've never what? taken it i've never taken a, a rectal temperature before um, <laughs> on a patient um, I, I, I think I just never been in the situation where I needed to, or I never had like the rectal thermometer, but I understand why a lot of parents might have some concerns about using a rectal thermometer, maybe like culturally, right. um, it's Usually. not, yeah, it's not acceptable to take a rectal temperature, but, um, I think it's really important that they know that it is the most accurate way of taking a temperature and then in babies like less than four months um this is the preferred method um i don't think there really should be a concern like in that like they're babies they're not going to remember it happening right Uh, and it doesn't hurt i mean it's not painful it doesn't hurt you're supposed to use like a lubricant or um like ky jelly or you can be using like aquaphor or vaseline if you have that at home instead um, so it shouldn't be uncomfortable for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think there are some like cultural reasons why people are, people avoid taking rectal temperatures. That's true. I think they're but, just, but have awesome. you taken a rectal temperature? Before? I have. Yes, <laughs> I definitely have. And the parents were freaking out. I mean, I, the baby was completely fine, but they were just so nervous about it. So had to talk them through it and walk them through it slowly, especially on, on girls. I find with the females, they're very, very um, scared about it. So so it's normal. We understand. Um, but it is very accurate. It's not painful. It's not going to hurt them. And it's not going to cause any lasting damage, which I think is a question that has been 
asked uh, of me multiple times uh, in the hospital. So it does not cause any lasting damage for sure if you take a, rest, a rectal temperature the right way. Obviously, you don't want to be, you know, shoving it in or um, causing any trauma. But if you're very delicate and you follow the instructions properly, then it should not cause any damage. Um, so another question I had for Hain is, should we be constantly checking our child's temperature? Because I've actually had parents tell me that they are constantly checking the temp, even if their kid is fine, they'll just randomly pull out a thermometer in the middle of the day and, then, and just check their temperature. Should they be doing that? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, there's, no, there's no reason to be checking your child's temperature throughout the day. If they look healthy, if they're playful and active and being themselves, then you don't need to check a temperature. Um, again, it's a very imprecise measurement. Um, it's not... Um, the most accurate thing. So um, you shouldn't be checking it all day because at some point you're going to get an abnormal reading and then you're going to get scared and have anxiety about it when you don't need to. Um, so definitely don't take it throughout the day. Only take it if you notice that your child is having symptoms of being sick, um, which we'll talk about um, in a minute. Um, so I know there are a lot of um, companies who are trying to capitalize off of parents um being overzealous about taking their child's temperature fever so phobia. yeah fever phobia um so there are devices that we've seen where um like the baby wears a continuous thermometer and um their temperature gets transmitted to a smartphone and it's like a continuous um monitoring of their temperature um and then like different family members can download this and track it um, throughout the day. That seems like it's some pretty cool technology, but it's definitely not necessary. Um, I think this is a definitely like an anxiety provoking device right. and we wouldn't recommend that. Um, for sure. There's no need for you to be monitoring your child's temperature. Like when you're grocery shopping, when you're like out doing yoga or like when you're out with your friends, out at, out up in the club, like <laughs> not necessary. Um, can you imagine? Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's that's really important to mention. So don't constantly stress and obsess over your your child's temperature. When they do have a fever, you will know. Um and then the last thing in terms of taking the temperature, what is calibrating your thermometer and should you be doing that? Yeah, so calibrating means um measuring a temperature to like a standard. So you want to standardize the reading that you're getting. So a way you can do that is if you notice that you take a temperature with a thermometer on your baby and it's elevated and you're concerned, you can go ahead and take a temperature on yourself and see if you think that reading is accurate. Like I would assume that at this point, like you were not sick and you yourself don't have any symptoms and your reading would be normal. So if you take uh, temperature with a thermometer and your reading is normal and your baby's is abnormal, then um, this is called calibrating your thermometer. Um, right. And it confirms that your reading is more likely to be accurate. Great. So now we know that we are supposed to calibrate our temperatures and how to do it. 
So um, I do think that it's important at this point to mention a little story that's probably happened. I don't know about you, Farheen and Slavica, but I think this has happened to all of us where as an intern, you had a baby and you took their temperature and you thought they were febrile. And then the attending came and told you to just like remove all the blankets from them and make sure that they were unbundled and then recheck it and they were not febrile anymore. So I think the number one cause of like a slightly elevated temperature in babies especially can be just over dressing them. They do get hot. There is this like misconception that babies um, don't get hot and they're always cold and they should always be wearing like 17 layers, uh, especially like in cult- culturally for yeah. us. Like, that's a huge thing, yeah. right? Like they put like 20 layers on the baby, even if they're just sitting at home with the, with the heat like blasting, you know? So this yeah, there's is- this picture of my sister like, after she was born, my parents have these pictures like where she's bundled up in like 20 layers looking Eskimo, like fur everywhere and then stuffed in a car seat. And like, I think, th- I mean, I think it's definitely like a foreign thing, maybe. But- oh, for sure. Yeah. Like they're always putting blankets and everything on top of kids. So be careful with that. I mean, they do get hot. You don't need to always have a, have them wear a hat in the house. Um, yeah. Let them let them breathe a little bit. So be careful with that. That could definitely elevate the temperature. So now that we've talked a little bit about how to take the temperature, um, we hope that you guys understand that and that that was helpful. Um, Another big, big thing is what do you do once you do check the temperature? So you did all the right things. You measured, you took a rectal temp and it is higher than 100.4. What's the first thing that they should do for Hain? So um, if you notice that your child does have a temperature, that's greater than 100.4 first thing you need to do is nothing most likely if your kid is um, still acting like themselves playful happy looking comfortable you don't need to treat the fever it's not necessary Um, the reason why we give fever reducers like Tylenol and Motrin um, is to keep the child comfortable while they may have an illness and they're fighting off infection um, it's just to keep them comfortable again. So Slavica, um, do you know of like any cultural things um, that your family has done to reduce fever? Yeah, I think you told us a really funny story one time about your mom and what she used to do to you when you were a kid. Okay, so I don't know about you guys, but growing up, my parents, especially my mom, had some really interesting cultural ways of reducing a fever. And let me tell you, there was one that I absolutely hated and still to this day makes my skin crawl because it was so disgusting and just, I don't understand the philosophy behind it. But anyway, so I'm Eastern European, which you guys know. And one thing that my mom always did is whenever I would have a fever, she would soak my socks in vinegar. And then she would make me wear these like wet, extremely potent smelling socks um, on my feet until my fever reduced. And in all honesty, my fever always went away. I'm not quite sure how, probably because she also gave me Tylenol at that time, but it was just the grossest feeling ever to have those wet socks on you at all times. Definitely did not like it. My mother always did it. Not to mention she was always horrible putting socks on, so they're always crooked and bothering me to begin with. <laughs> Love you, mom. That's really funny. <laughs> okay. Um, some other things that we know that could be done culturally 
I know my in-laws, like my husband always talks about how my in-laws put cornstarch in his socks. I'm not quite sure what it is with Eastern Europeans and socks for fear reducing. I've also heard of um, cutting up potatoes um, and then wrapping them around your head with a bandana. Apparently the starch also soaks up heat and that also works well to reduce a fever. A lot of times people like to do things like rubbing their body with alcohol. Um, I've heard this for different pain reliefs. Some people also do it with rubbing alcohol to help reduce a fever. Not quite sure what the mechanism of action is on that. A lot of cultures also firmly believe in bundling baby up as much as possible. Everyone who I know had did this when I was little. We still see people who come in the ED who also um, believe this to help, but they think that wrapping your child up in as many layers, as many clothes as you can, um, will kind of help them break the fever because they get so hot and so bundled that it kind of gets to a point of it just, I don't know, bursts or does something and the fever magically goes away. Or giving your child hot liquids. Tea is wonderful, especially tea with honey in regards to sore throat. However, I'm not quite sure in regards to a fever if that tea is actually going to make you feel any cooler. So what should you actually do? So no potatoes and no crazy um, family suspicions or anything or uh, superstitions. Uh, What would you actually do if your child had a fever for Hain? So if you're child actually has a fever and on top of that they're looking sick um, and they have symptoms of being sick then you definitely want to go ahead and treat with a fever reducer like Motrin or Tylenol. Um, So you can use Tylenol in babies um, even if they're less than six months but you can only use Motrin if your baby is greater than six older than six months old. That's a Um, big, big one. So less than six months, no Motrin. With Tylenol, um, you can give it every four hours. And with Motrin, you can give it every six hours. Um, Some parents like to alternate these um, and think that's more effective in reducing the fever. But um, whatever you have at home, that's totally fine. Just make sure you're using it at the appropriate time and you aren't overdosing. Um, For Tylenol, you don't want to give it more than five times in a day. And for Motrin, you don't want to give it more than four times in a day. That's good to know. I think that's really important to know. So So, a lot of the parents that we see, they have problems with um, dosing. So how do they know the right dose? Yeah, so dosing is super important. Um, You always want to make sure you follow the instructions on the box. Um, And note that dosing is always based off of weight. It's not based off of age. It's based off of weight. So based off of kilograms, and then they'll probably convert to pounds on the back of the box. So um, you always want to give the correct full dose for your baby's weight. Um, Don't try to give like half a dose or thinking that it's safer, um, because likely that's not going to treat the fever at all and won't do you any good. So give the full dose um, according to your baby's weight and um, make sure you use like the tool, um, like the syringe or the cup or um, the spoon that the bottle of medication comes with. Um, Sometimes like if you use something else to kind of guesstimate um, what the right amount is, it's not accurate. So um, please use the right 
measuring tools. And I, I do think it's important for us to mention that there are a couple of groups of children who should not receive Tylenol or Motrin. Um, so if your child has any sort of like liver disease, this is a big indication to avoid Tylenol. And then in terms of Motrin, the big ones would be any sort of kidney disease um, and also cancer. You really want to stay away from Motrin. Normally, your doctor would have already kind of warned you uh, at, uh, towards this. But if they have not, then that's a big uh, thing that you should discuss with them. Yeah, definitely. Um, if your child has any of the, these underlying conditions, make sure um, to discuss with your pediatrician or specialist um, what medications they can take for fever reducing. Mm -hmm. That's a good point as well. And also a big thing is if your child is under 18, you should never give them aspirin. Uh, aspirin works similarly to Motrin. We won't get too into that, but um, a lot of people do use it in adults sometimes if they have a fever or they're ill. But in children younger than 18, this is absolutely not recommended. So try to avoid it if possible. So what about non-medical treatments? I know floating around the internet and also amongst our parents and culturally, there are some non-medical treatments that actually work. So Slavica, can you tell us a little bit about these? So what are some non-medical treatments for a fever for your child? Some important aspects that we like to hit on. First, it's really important that you keep your child's room and your home at a very comfortable temperature and that you dress them lightly. Many parents believe that whenever their child is younger or they have newborns around, they should keep the house extra warm. That's not necessarily going to help a baby out, especially if they are burning up inside from a fever. It's really important to encourage your child to drink extra fluid and keep hydrated. Things like water, Pedialyte are wonderful. Um, other prepared electrolyte solutions such as Gatorade, Powerade are also really good at keeping things hydrated. Gelatin such as Jello, Popsicles, those all work very well. If you feel that a room is extremely warm or stuffy, it would be a good idea to maybe keep a fan in that area to kind of keep cool air circulating as much as possible. Your child does not have to stay in his or her room um, or in bed when they have a fever. Um, they can be up and about and moving around the house. If they're always kept bundled up and not really doing everyday activities, they're never really ever going to get better, which you don't want around. It's really important though to make sure they don't overexert themselves. Your child will play as much as they want to play. So if they want to play, that's great. That means they're getting better. That means they have energy. Don't try and squash that and make them lay in bed. If the fever is a symptom of a highly contagious disease, such as chickenpox or the flu, it's really important to keep your child away from other kids, anyone who's elderly, immunocompromised, those who are sick or unable to fight infection any type of way. It's hard for you to know as a parent if what they have could be contagious. So if your child is coming down with a fever, it's a good idea kind of to keep them away from other kids and those who are at high risk of being exposed and getting an infection. Um... So the biggest thing, um, whether or not your child has a fever, you should always assess, assess, assess. So this is big. Um, this is going to determine which kid gets to take the Motrin or the Tylenol and stay home and which one has to actually go to an urgent care or an emergency room. So when we say assess your child, Farheen, what do we mean? So this means you want to see if your child is eating and drinking as normal 
um, voiding and stooling as normal? Are they still making the same number of wet diapers? Um, are they still drinking the same amount of bottles or an adequate number of um, bottles of formula or breast milk? Um, if they look like they're having respiratory distress, they're breathing really hard, their muscles are working really hard to breathe, if you notice any wheezing, if they're turning blue, um, if they're not breathing, um, or if they're act like looking lethargic and not acting like themselves. Great point. And is there any sort of like hard and fast rule on who should definitely go to the hospital or go to an urgent care? Yes. So um, any babies less than 28 days uh, who are ill or toxic appearing should be hospitalized for IV antibiotic therapy. Mm -hmm. um, this is important. Um, okay. And then any kids less than three months should be evaluated, meaning they should be taken to your primary care doctor, an urgent care, or the ED, emergency department, if necessary. Um, so you want to be on higher alert if your baby's less than three months of age. Right. There's also some immune compromised kids that fall into this category. So if your child has cancer, if they have sickle cell or a lot of other autoimmune conditions, if they spike a fever, you should also get them evaluated. Um, this is something very important because a lot of these children are at, risks for, at risk for very serious complications and serious conditions. So you want to get them evaluated as quickly as possible. Um, so Rabba, what red flags should we look for before taking your child to the ED? Yeah, so there are some big um, red flags that you should definitely watch out for. So if your child looks very ill, some of the things that Farheen talked about, like having respiratory distress, they look like they're breathing faster and they're not very comfortable. This is definitely a red flag. Another one would be how long has the fever been going on? So sometimes we get kids that come into the hospital and they have a history of this like vague fever that went on for a month. So it would come like every few days and then it, they would take a Tylenol, it would go away and then it would come back. This is definitely a red flag. If your child's constantly spiking a fever, then you definitely need to get them evaluated, um, especially if it's accompanied by weight loss, um, being really tired and other symptoms like that. If your kid is having lots of diarrhea, vomiting, they can't keep anything down, they seem dehydrated, definitely, definitely take them um, to the emergency room. Also, if they suddenly appear like they're not really walking, um, they are having trouble speaking, things like that, you definitely want to take them to the emergency room as well. If they have a seizure, this is another big one, um, you will want to take them to the emergency room. Another big thing is to just use your judgment. I mean, we definitely trust parents. They know their child best and always use your, your intuition and you use your judgment. If you feel like deep down, you know, you just have this feeling that your child is not right. They're not acting like themselves. This is also a big reason to get them evaluated. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So let's get into some fun, frequently asked questions yeah. uh, that we always, always get. Uh, the big one is, does teething cause a fever, Fahim? What are you going to say about this? Yes, teething can cause fever. Usually it's a low-grade fever, so it usually doesn't get um, as high as 100.4 or greater, um, but it does cause an elevated temperature, and we see this a lot um, with parents in clinic letting us know that their child's having fevers because of teething, and they're concerned. Um, so 
usually what's recommended is um, using like a, a teething ring or like massaging the gums um, to alleviate the pain and discomfort your baby's going through. But if they still seem irritable and in discomfort, then you can give Tylenol for the pain as needed. But you want to make sure that you're not using it excessively and not using it around the clock, like giving them many doses of Tylenol a day for the teething. So use it sparingly. Right. Very good point. And I do think I did read that there was this one study that showed um, that when kids are teething, their temperature does rise, but usually it doesn't get as high as a real fever. Uh, it can get that high, but usually not. So if you do think that your child has a really high fever and they're teething, just touch base with your doctor because they could have like another condition at the same time. Another question. Can fever cause seizures? What do you think about this, Farheen? So, yes. Um Fevers can cause seizure. Um, these are called febrile seizures, um, and they can happen in kids six months to five years old, but they're the most common in toddlers 12 to 18 months old. Um, so I know it sounds really scary, but these fevers usually last for a few minutes and they stop on their own. They look serious, but most stop without treatment and don't cause other health problems. Um, some kids might feel sleepy after one, while others have like no lasting effects. Um, and most children outgrow these seizures by the time they're five years old. And um, again, like febrile seizures are not considered epilepsy, which is a seizure disorder. But and they only have like a slightly increased risk of developing epilepsy. So um, it's something to watch out for and be aware of. But parents shouldn't get overly concerned if their baby develops a febrile seizure. Great point. And last but definitely not least, can your child develop a fever after a vaccine? Yes, children can develop a fever after a vaccine. Um, this is a very normal immune response, and it means that your child's immune system is responding to the vaccine, so you don't need to be worried um, if your baby has a mild fever after a shot. Um, you can treat this with Tylenol um, or Motrin if they're greater than if they're older than six months, um, but you don't need to be concerned. Right. Great point. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap for this fever episode. Please tune in next time when we cover another very interesting, very relevant pediatric topic. We really hope that everyone is practicing social distancing at this time. It is very important that we continue to flatten the curve and not just that, but also help prevent a second peak from happening. I know everyone wants to see their loved ones. We do as well. We really, really, really appreciate everyone who's able to social distance who hasn't practicing it um, and is staying six feet away from everyone else, especially during all these times when holidays are happening and we want to be able to touch, hug, kiss everyone that we love. Unfortunately, right now, we might just have to do that virtually. To the bottom of our hearts as healthcare workers, we truly appreciate every effort you are putting in to helping us fight this pandemic. Once again, if you have any suggestions for topics you would like covered, please go ahead and let us know about them. We'd love to take any of them into consideration. Stay in the know on the go. This is three peas in a pod.